Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the podcast. Men, as always, I'd like to begin by thanking you for checking out today's podcast episode. I would also like to share this verse with you. It comes out of Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. It says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I don't know about you, but after I thank the Lord for Jesus and my family, the next thing I think about is, let's get the coffee going. That's why I share that verse to introduce to you our newest podcast sponsor, Joy Light Coffee Roasters out of Topeka, Kansas. I got to tell you, this bag smells incredible. Now, to introduce themselves to the Pursuit of Manliness audience, they are offering 10% off of your coffee order when you use the discount code POM10, all capital letters, the number 10. The link will be in the show notes, but I do want to share this before we get on to the episode. In the middle of February, they're going to release a Quiet Life blend. It's a special blend for the listeners. I want to make sure you guys keep an eye out for that. Men, it's time for today's podcast episode. God, thank you uh, for today. Thank you for the gift of technology, as we always thank you for. Uh, this thing can be used for good or for evil, and we try to use it for good. Um, I thank you for Sam Black and what he does, and I thank you for uh, this book we're going to talk about. God, you have in through your infinite wisdom and knowledge, you have used tools and resources like this uh, to redeem broken people, to restore marriages, to have uh, truth be revealed for people to go from darkness to light. And as we're going to talk about today, uh, the church has a role in that, and it's easy to try to dismiss it or feel like it's something that you know, maybe isn't our, our our business or whatever. I pray in this conversation that we'd all consider uh, what what this might look like. The church being the bride of Christ, we want to honor her, we want to cherish her, and we want to do what is best um, for her. And I pray for this conversation. I pray for the book, I, all the things that have been going on with this ministry, Covenant Eyes and such. God, continue to do um, what you do, light shining in the midst of darkness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, men, at this time, I want to welcome back to the show, Mr. Sam Black. Sam, thank you for being on the podcast today. Jared, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a fun conversation. I told you before we hit record at the end of the last conversation, which I thoroughly enjoyed, I thought, well, that was a home run. Um, I recognize you have a book <laughs> over your shoulder and you said, oh, you don't, you don't know about the book. And so here we are. We got the book. It's called The Healing Church. I got it in my hands here. Uh, would you just start with um, what, what led you to write the book? Yes. Yeah, so I wrote The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It, because I could see so much uh, good intentions within the church to help men and women and teens address pornography in their lives. But they were often missing the the important details. And uh, these these it's so tough for men and women who find themselves in this deep stronghold to find escape to find freedom in Christ, and uh, with just a little bit of support, with a little, uh, yes, with support and help from the, the local church body, the body of Christ, we can practice Galatians 6, one where we can, uh, we who are spiritually mature can help restore and do it with patience and kindness. Well, one of the questions you ask, and I think this is, very interesting because it, it does muddy the water quickly and guys will justify it for different reasons. The question you ask is, do we know what porn is? Uh, how, yeah. how, what is, how do you, how did you come to that question? 
Well, why don't we just beat around the bush a little bit? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's so easy to go, well, you know, I didn't really act out with porn because I just did this or I just did that. But Jesus was very clear about what we uh, should be concerned about. He said, if you look at another, objectify another with lust in your heart, then you have committed adultery with that person. And so... That is what we need to set our parameters to. And so often we we hedge our bets. We're like, well, I, I went that far, but it didn't go that far. And really, God is most concerned about what is in our hearts. Well, in our a Quiet Life group, we were reading Proverbs recently, and I read Proverbs 5, 8, keep away from her. And do not go near the door of her house. And I was texting a good friend of mine. The Holy Spirit just convicted me. Going near the door of her house. I go, we didn't go to anybody's house. We didn't. But that scrolling, the hashtags, you're just going near the door of the house. You're being enticed. Your strength is taken from you. I mean, it doesn't take much. And you say, sometimes it's the people that you least suspect. Now, we're not supposed to go around like U.S. Marshals kicking down doors of people's houses. But how <laughs> no. could, when you talk about the church context, how mm -hmm. could somebody support their pastor, their elder, their their ministry lead or whatever, because those would be people that you would probably not suspect. Wow. I, I wrote that chapter very specifically because uh, we, in, in let's, let's first have a, a, a good understanding that I wrote this book to pastors and ministry leaders. They're, they're my primary audience that I'm writing to in this book. And so often we're like, oh, those people are okay because they're serving in the church or they're doing things in the church. And what I found repeatedly as I visited churches across the United States, interviewed more than 70 pastors and ministry leaders, people who'd been through the recovery journey, uh, counselors, etc. And what I found uh, repeatedly was there were some people who were struggling deeply with porn for years, but they hid it. And they thought, if if I just do this this more work for the church, if I just serve my family more, if I just do this more, then maybe this will go away, or maybe it'll make up for the sin that I've had in my life, right? I, I uh, many, some ministry leaders that I spoke with and missionaries I spoke with said, you know, when I, when I was in middle school, I thought, well, when I get to high school, this will go away because I'll be around more mature people and and I won't have this struggle with pornography. And that didn't work. And so they, well, I'm going to a Christian college now. And they get to the Christian college and they think all that's going to go away because now they're going to be really surrounded by other Christians. And, and that didn't seem to work. And so they, well, I'm going to go to the seminary because I, I feel called to ministry. And, and, and they go to seminary and they think, man, I'm really around the elite. These are the folks that are really going to help me be accountable and, and support me, and I'm going to be so encouraged. And that didn't change. And so then they go into the missionary field or pastor uh, position of some sort or ministry position of some sort. And they think, I'll be around the elite of the elite now, and that will take all this struggle away from me. And now they're in a position where now I can't tell anybody. And so this, this keeps just going. And so we need, and what we often do within the church is shoot our wounded. <laughs> you know, we, we see someone who is struggling and say, well, if you're struggling, you're not above reproach. You are out. You're done. You're just gone. And so 
when others see that happening, well, they don't speak out and they don't ask for help. And so it just keeps this hidden problem going on. Well, what if the church stood up and said, well, we believe in the grace of Jesus Christ, that there is no sin, no, no struggle in your life that Jesus Christ can't redeem. Uh, he loves you right where you're at right now. And he wants you to live in absolute and total freedom. You don't have to stay in the struggle. But until you're able to open up to others about it, until you're uh, able to really uh, unpack why you're going to pornography in the first place, then maybe you'll find yourself struggling for many years. And I tell you what, I have spoken to ministry leaders who you would never suspect who are struggling. And I say, Sam, I, I don't know why that computer calls my name. I don't know why that when I check into a hotel room that um, now I've got this Wi-Fi or there's this computer that doesn't have covenant eyes installed on it in the in the lobby or something. And now I've got a struggle. And you think, wait, no, 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 not them. Listen, we need to address issues like this within the church with some real discipleship, some real care. And here's the cool thing. Every ministry leader that I've spoken to who goes through a, a real discipleship process to overcome the struggle with pornography comes out on the other side, more on fire, more empathetic, more courageous, more excited about what God can do in people's lives. They don't, they don't like lower. They go through the roof. It, it's, it's exciting to see. I've shared the story before, but there was a guy, he'd walk in every Sunday and he was dressed to the, you know, like, a, like a nice old man should dress. And he was there every weekend. He'd sit right where he always sat the whole deal, but I'll never forget being in his hospital room. And he drew me a map of where he had things hidden in his house. And I thought, how many weekends of your life have you been to church? And how many times have you been, you had the opportunity to purge this stuff and to mm -hmm. get real. And here he is essentially on his deathbed having almost a total stranger go into his house and get rid of stuff. So people don't find it. Come to find out some of them already, some of them already knew it. Yeah. And I will say this, that he probably threw that away multiple times over. He, he purged that, got rid of it. Uh, he never wanted to be found out, but, and then at the last, Oh, I, I've got a new stash. And so this recycle, this repetitive cycle of purging and and falling back into it happens over and over for Christian men who really want lasting freedom. And that's true. That's possible. We can have that. Yeah, I, I never thought of that. I, I never thought that maybe, you know, that was a different batch than had, you know. Um, one of the things you do in your book, you devote two chapters to the men, one to women. I don't understand you know, about how men get stuck and uh, women only get once. Men, men, I, it's both. We know that. But men really yeah. are. We're tough and we're hard, you know, so why, why, why do men, why do men get stuck? I thought my story was unique. I thought I was the only guy who <laughs> ended up like this, this, why this happened. But what I found was my story is not unique. It's a common story and it is the three parts to it. It is the early exposure to pornography as a child. That's the big hit. And pornography can, and number two, I'll come back here. I'll come back and explain these. So number one, early exposure as a child. 
Two, the ongoing use and repetition, typically through adolescence, but it can happen uh, uh, later in life too. And number three, some drama or trauma that's happened uh, typically early, but can, uh, can happen other times as well. So here's how it plays out. I was 10 years old when I first saw pornography. I remember coming out of my home in Florida and my brother and his best friend were leaning against his car. He's 10 years older than me. And uh, they were looking at a magazine sideways and that didn't make any sense. How can you look at a magazine sideways, read sideways? So I, uh, I asked them what they were looking at. They turned it around and man, like every kid, I was curious. I didn't step away, I stepped forward. And what I didn't realize that my brain at that young age had a, a feeling part of the brain that was well-developed. Uh, I was easily enticed, easily excited uh, kids yell and scream and lack a little bit of self-control, right? Because that prefrontal cortex of the brain, the executive decision-making part of the brain isn't very well developed yet. And so those emotional things have take greater precedence. And dopamine fires off and dopamine loves novelty, something that's not been seen before, that it's exciting. And even though I didn't know even understand the basic mechanics of sex at 10 years old, my body reacted to that and dopamine can give you tunnel vision to the point of, of everything else disappears. Uh, I know that I can, now here's the cool thing as well. In God's design, this is all beautiful. You focus on your spouse. You're focused on that relationship. Uh, we're meant to intermarriage as virgins, right? And so that first sexual experience can be so powerful, it can so be so enticing, et cetera. And it helped, dopamine helps burn those neural pathways into the brain that remember that. And here's what I found. Every guy that I've spoken with, nearly every guy, if they saw pornography as a child, they can tell you a complete story about the first time that they saw pornography. Not just, oh, I, I just... Oh, you know, I was about this age and saw it. No, they tell you about um, the, um, the the tree house or the car or the brothers that showed it, or they can tell you a full story about what happened. Now, the, the second part of this is um, the ongoing use and repetition. Well, I had a friend and his dad had pornography that was falling out of his closet. I could take anything I wanted and I did. And so I just, it just kept being a repeated thing that helped burn those neural pathways in my brain that would crave pornography more and more. The third part of this is trauma. And that can look a different for lots of different people. Um, it can be small things. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's a loss of a parent to death or leaving or workaholism, or uh, maybe I just don't feel like I belong. And there's this ongoing small drip, the IV drip of ongoing use. For me, it was an ongoing IV drip of violence. And my dad was a violent guy. And um, there was, and when I felt fear and anger, and frustration, I could run to pornography as a perfect escape. It was a, a bad solution to a real problem. And so that escapism helps cement that ongoing compulsive use of pornography. 
So even when I said to myself and to God and to others, this is the last time I'm never going back. I never broke that cycle until I came uh, open to another guy like you, Jared, where I could unpack that, unpack that story, really understand why do I keep going back and lean on Christ, lean on the, on the body of Christ as well to practice James 5.16, to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. Man, it was a journey. It didn't happen overnight, but the journey was worth the effort. One of the things you write about in here, and I, I don't think I've ever seen it in, in a book like this. I, I'm a former children's pastor. I did it for 15 years. I, I believe in children's ministry. I think there's a lot of good that can happen there. I've seen a, I've seen a lot of grownups growing their faith through children's ministry. And we, my Absolutely. wife and I have served faithfully in a lot of, you also have a unique perspective, but you're blinded by just the workload. You're just trying to get through the weekend or get volunteer, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You talk about porn's impact on children's ministry. Can you explain this? Yeah, I think it's important for us to recognize that pornography is undermining every ministry in the church, from that marriage and adult ministries to the teen ministries, even down to our children's ministries. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? Well, we're teaching our kids Bible stories, but if the average age for a first exposure to pornography is somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12, depending on which study you're looking at, well, you're trying to teach Bible studies, but there is also this voice of pornography, this voice of the world, this voice of our culture seeping in and undermining what they're learning. And that can bring them shame and self-reproach. It can, it can say, you know, that's not, this Bible stuff can't be real because look what everybody else is doing, right? There's so much at work there. And it's very difficult for a child to look away from pornography, as, as I explained in the book because of that natural curiosity, the neurochemistry that's coming through. Uh, I talk about mirror neurons. Mirror neurons um, uh, help you learn faster. And children have more of them than adults. And a mirror neuron, easily explained, is that when you see something, it makes it feel like you're doing it. So it's why you your heart races when you see a runner cross the finish line. Or when a, a, a batter gets hit with a baseball, you flinch, right? <laughs> that's mirror neurons at work. And they help us learn faster. Well, that's having a big impact on children who are being shocked by what they see by pornography uh, and burning that into their brains, those mirror neurons and being impacted. That is, that's a, uh, pornography has a special impact on that child's brain, which sets them up. Um, we called it, uh, Dr. Um, Mark Laser called it one of the building blocks of sexual addiction because it's so impactful on that child's brain for later adult life. Without having that angle, uh, we just didn't. I was ignorant to it, I suppose. But I, I always knew around Christmas time for a fifth grader, we were done reaching them. It was over. They got different clothes at Christmas. They started thinking about going to junior high, whatever. Mm. And there was a certain window where you just said, we can't reach them. We're just, they had senioritis when it came to being a part of what you were doing. But that that was the heartbreak of children's ministry. You could see kids. You could see circumstances, parents, guardians, whomever, and go, it's not good. And you just didn't know what to do. I did, you didn't know how to intervene. You weren't, you know, you were only given a brief interaction, you know, at the check-in counter or wherever they were at. Um, what does a church do when it comes to any of these ministries? I think one, forgive me, I should say this. I think we got to get back to discipleship. 
in discipleship is where people start to get more honest about conversation as opposed to yes, evangelism, but discipleship within the church. What, what do we do as a church? Well, first we need to make it safe <laughs> because if you want to disciple someone, you've got to make it easy for them to come forward, ask for help or make a, a, a space where they know that there's a process to real freedom that you really understand with us. Well, and, um, before we go, get too much into that, I need uh, pastors and ministry leaders to understand that uh, this is making more work for you. In fact, it will end up making less work for you, especially in the long run. Because what I found at all the churches that I visited, they would say, Sam, you got to understand this. When we created a safe place and a safe process for people, I didn't do more work as a pastor. I did less. Because having had an awakening, awakening in this discipleship process and this healing process, they want to give back. That is always the end of the discipleship process. It never does it ever end. But when they have that growth and maturity, now they want to give back the healing that they've received. So this is a this is a big deal. So let's go back to the how do we get men and women to even talk about this? Well, it needs to be safe. Um, and and safety in the church uh, exists on the spectrum. On one side of the spectrum, is it safe to come as you are? Everybody's got faults and problems. You don't really need to mention what they really are. But, you know, we all got stuff. And that's okay. But you're never really ever called to change. On the other extreme of that spectrum is uh, it's, it's not safe for a Christian, especially, to have any faults. Once you accept Jesus, you're all that problems, all your struggles, all your strongholds, anything that's going on in your life, that needs to be cured. And if you are, if you're struggling with something like pornography, well, maybe you don't belong with us. And what we need to be is more in that center where it says, we love you just as you are, but we love you too much to leave you stuck like that. <laughs> and we, and we will walk with you and we will, and we will care for you. And we will show you, we'll take you on a step-by-step -step journey of discipleship that helps you understand why you got stuck, why you seem to stay stuck, and how you can live in Christ's freedom. Yeah, there's the Christian life is always two sides of the same coin, you know, just as you are, but he refuses to leave you there. You know, you have the individual walk with the Lord and you have the communal aspect where we're part of the bride of Christ. And uh, I think as pastors or ministry leaders that are always trying to navigate those relational waters and figure out where that person is and how do we best love on them and meet them where they're at. Where do pastors and ministry leaders go then? If they're listening to this, and they say, Sam, you you hit on it. It all sounds good, but man, I'm in a tough spot, you know, because they're going to look at my wife different, my kids different. Where, like, where do, where do they go? Well, again, let's make sure we have that last description perfectly. I want to add this, that we need to make sure we have a safe place and a safe process, not only for mm. those uh, in our congregation, but those who are in some sort of leadership, whether that's a volunteer role, a layman's role, Sunday school teachers or small group leaders to your assistant pastors, to the senior pastor, mm -hmm. to your elder board, they need to know that uh, we can have conversations that are tough, that we can uh, have a discipleship process. And even if someone needs to step away from ministry for a while to work on this discipleship mm -hmm. process, mm -hmm. that's okay. You're not being shunned. You're not being pushed out of the church. You're not being disqualified for life. You're saying, hey, I need to step back for a little bit, and I'm willing to submit 
to authority and go on this discipleship journey. And by the way, these mm. journeys do not have to be reinvented. There is, you know, if we looked at the 70s and 80s, there wasn't many resources to help. Today, there's tons of resources that are available. Uh, in fact, Covenant Eyes has a full team, and you can talk to them at church support at covenanteyes.com. And that's a whole team dedicated to helping your church address the issue of pornography uh, from your from uh, the children's sphere all the way up to your adults and um, helping parents understand this issue and helping pastors and ministry leaders address this within their ranks. One of the things I love about the book is it's more than a book. It's a resource. You know, it's one thing to read a book and say, well, that's a bunch of information. That was great. And put it on your shelf and move on. This is a resource. So how would you like to see churches use this book? Well, it is a, it is a place to go and get answers. So it is a, it, like you said, it's, it's a resource where you, uh, I wrote it with the intention that a pastor or ministry leader can pull it off the shelf on a regular basis and say, I need to go find that answer. And if, and uh, not only does it provide lots of answers, it points you to lots of answers for more resources as well. Well, where can we get the book, Sam? <laughs> uh, thehealingchurch.com is uh, where you can learn more about it. You can download the uh, introduction and the first chapter for free. But you buy the book wherever you normally buy books online. Amazon, where it has uh, five stars. Barnes & Noble, where it has five stars for, you know, God has blessed us with uh, reviewers who are going, man, <laughs> this is eye-opening. I never, this is the best, uh, literally, I've just uh, yes. spoken with a counselor this past week and says, this is the best book for ministry leaders on this topic, bar none. I agree. I agree. I, I tell guys, you know, there's books we talk about, books we promote. This is a promote book. And I think this is one that guys need to consider uh give it to your your you know someone in your men's group whatever give it to your pastor like hey here's a resource i i love when people give me books especially if i don't feel like i have to read them right away you know so i think this is one that you know you're getting ready to do counseling you pull it off the shelf and like man i don't know what to do with abuse i don't know what to do with this or you know what, whatever that is so um sam thank you for being on today's podcast jared thank you so much for having me you guys in the herd we're going to continue that conversation 